Hello, and welcome back to Before the Crow's Nest. It's been a minute, uh, about six months now, I think, since our last major upload. Maybe a couple minor things sprinkled in between. Uh, and I don't think I'm going to give much introduction this time. Uh, I think the title kind of speaks for itself, and we're just going to jump right in. This episode is called... NN Dimormon Tryptamine, Mormon Intelligence, and DMT. On the morning of September 25th, 2008, I had one of the most perplexing and terrifying experiences of my life. In the Provo, Utah Missionary Training Center, at the age of 19, I was certain beyond the incomprehensible physics of the event that I had received a profound vision a spiritual witness and testament to my forthcoming missionary service. Currently, I characterize this mostly as a hypnopompic sleep paralysis episode. My fellow elders and I, let's call them Ellis, Perks, and Tracy, finished our nightly routine and turned out the lights so as to not break routine commandment on the very first day in the MTC. I was restless and uncomfortable, a bit warm, and I'm uncertain at this point in time how long it was before I fell asleep. The next thing I knew, I found myself soaring through a black and white tunnel which had a roar as if its depths were hollow. I floated out of the tunnel from the night sky, quickly down toward an island which I recently came to know as Praia, Cape Verde. It felt like I knew exactly where to go. I saw people walking throughout the streets. They were completely unaware of me. Many of them were being followed by ghoulish, tired, anxious, excited, angry, or confused entities. They looked mostly human. There was one prominent among them. I seemed to remember tattered and or gray clothing, and that I was terribly frightened. I soon came upon myself, and at this point I was still floating several feet above the ground. I knew it was time to assume the perspective, so I entered my body. Immediately as I had done so, two African elders whom I was just meeting for the first time there, and I guess also simultaneously there, because there I was, they took turns shaking my hand. It was as if play had been pressed on the scene. I don't recall any more specifics here, just that there was my first companion, let's call him Badesso, a taxi, and the word splits. Next, I found myself in an apartment. It was mostly one big room. I was standing on one side near a window, and Badesso and the other two elders were on the other end. They seemed to be discussing something technical about the scheduling and were unaware of me. To my surprise, however, they remained unaware when the prominent form I had seen earlier walked right into the apartment unannounced. I was taken aback and couldn't speak. He began to circle the other elders who remained clueless to his presence. I tried to call out to warn them, but still could not. The speed of the room seemed to be increasing, and this entity, whom by this time 
I knew to be Satan, that prince of darkness, and those others out there, his innumerable associates. It appeared as if he was going to attack the other elders. He lunged at them, and in an act of desperation, I attempted to leap forward while stretching forth my right arm. A brilliant white light emanated out of my hand, taking over the entire room as the entity fled. The light quickly dissipated, and I awakened in the bottom bunk of my Provo MTC bedroom in excruciating pain, drenched in sweat, heart pounding, labored breathing, still unable to speak, still unable to move. I don't recall how long I was stuck there, but I did eventually find the ability to roll out of bed, noisily, landing on my knees and waking up the other local elders, except Tracy. We got ready for the day and headed out the door to breakfast. The placard outside our MTC bedroom door, a picture of Jesus Christ with a scripture, 3 Nephi 18.24. Therefore, hold up your light that it may shine unto the world. Behold, I am the light which ye shall hold up. My mission was an immense struggle from that moment on. My pain, though I had had it since age 13, was now on a more continually intense level than I had ever known. I had difficulty walking, and some days I couldn't kneel in prayer. I don't recall the sequence of events exactly here, but I did tell the MTC president my dream. It was more or less brushed off, though he did seem concerned, and at some point I was sent to be examined by the nearby hospital and for some reason was screened for Marfan's disease. I made it to the island. I met Elder Badesso. He looked just as he did when I had seen him in my vision on September 25th. A couple of weeks in, and I had only gotten worse physically, and thus emotionally. One night, I found myself walking down the road towards our meeting house. I could see it in the distance. But I started to see flashes of light. Vague, transparent people following all the other people out walking around already. No one else seemed concerned or as if they had seen anything. I was exhausted, and we were so close to our apartment, but we had stopped out in front of the church. I asked what we were doing here, and I was informed that tonight we would be going on splits. A taxi pulled up, and I was greeted by two African elders. I was terrified. I did not want to relive that experience. The being the only one aware, the unbearable pain, any and all of it, I did not want. I was informed that I was the one to leave that night, so I had to go pack. I prayed over and over again on the walk to the apartment. I had sensed a release of pressure in the atmosphere, but I remained very nervous. I found myself standing in the exact spot in the apartment by the window as I had been back on September 25th, 
And there were the other three elders having their frivolously technical conversation on the other side. I started to pray again, saying, Please do not let this come to pass. Please do not let this come to pass. Please do not let this come to pass. It did not. But I did not get any better. And the first presidency sent me home a couple weeks later. Six months after returning home, I would receive a priesthood blessing of healing and comfort from my primary patriarchal figure, my grandfather. He said in this blessing that a dark entity had clung to my body and commanded it to leave. It was not immediate, but I began to feel a slow release and a gradual return back to the level of pain with which I was familiar before this experience on my mission. My relationship with the church evolved over the years. The complexities aren't terribly notable here. In the end, my relationship with LSD and meditation was born, and both most certainly saved my life. While I love LSD for plentiful reasons, its mention now will be brief. I took my first tab on May 11th, 2019. I recently described a moment of peak with a close friend. I stood in the church parking lot and looked up at the night sky. I saw the speedy, spiraling universe. But in that instance, it was actually the Milky Way specifically which blanketed me in all of its soft, bubbling, and welcoming light, saying, everything is okay. Everything's fine. And I knew that it was. A few years later, I had been feeling incredibly suicidal for the first time since I had taken LSD almost exactly three years before. That first trip more or less nixed that ideation for me for many years. I was able to acquire LSD in the hopes it would once more kick my depressive swing, but this time around, I was also presented with the opportunity to partake in N-N-dimethyltryptamine, otherwise known as DMT. I spent the next month consuming around 3,000 micrograms of LSD, and there were many insights, but their notation is scattered and some in video form, so more on these later. Shortly after all that lysergic travel, I found my moment to take DMT for the first time. I notated my experience immediately upon awakening. This is that experience. When I took my first toke out of the glass pipe, I didn't experience anything foul in my throat or lungs like I had read others report. I love the smell, and I love the taste. I can taste it when I think about it. It reminds me of a relative's basement that I knew as a child. However, out of habit, I did not hold the toke very long. As a medical cannabis patient, cannabis does not need a long stay to take its effect on me. It often prefers several short stays. Nevertheless, there was an instantaneous brightening of the room and an incredibly light sensation all throughout my body, as if floating above a gentle heat source. I was instructed to hold the next toke longer. After the second one, I closed my eyes and was blasted into, or rather, there was a warped rocket blast sound, coupled with the sense of being yanked forward, 
sucked through a softly screaming vacuum set to 11. Attracted by the gravitational forces far beyond the boundaries of what I call me. The sound settled to a whirring, pulsing hum from everywhere, and the most beautiful chiming, ringing, and tinkling noises I had ever heard began to overlay that whirring. This all continued for the length of the trip, and I would occasionally see tiny woodland-looking creatures, elves, playing the stars as musical instruments, which is what produced the beautiful chimes. There was a burst of rainbow cubes and other morphing geometric patterns as if on a mirror directly in front of me. I was asked if I wanted one more. I sat up and took another small toke. I sunk into my seat and watched the geometric patterns dissolve into helixes of varying sizes and of unnamed colors. They all began coalescing into an infinite moiré of helices upon helices. My sitter reported that after this took, I said out loud, Space does not exist. I knew it. I felt a wonderfully confirming sense from, paradoxically, all around me. More geometric cube patterns came forth out of the swirling. It had a presence, but no facial structure. Yet it welcomed me in plain English through tactile vibrations. My sitter said I began to laugh, which I recall, and I reached in an attempt to feel my own face, but did not find it. After this one fleeting attempt, I smiled and set my arm down. I don't remember how much longer I was enjoying my faceless adventure riding the helices with the cubes, but my body had been laying in my seat for several minutes. I had glimpsed a new set of creatures flying back and forth and dancing on the landscape in the distance. Fairies, I called them. I opened my eyes and the room presented as it had many times in my mirror meditation practice. This has happened sober, with cannabis, and also LSD. The structure was just much more vivid and apparent on DMT, and the best description I can seem to give to the experience is that every object in the scene expands out from its representative form into all its constituent color and light layers. A real-life hologram showing you just how to construct every particle in the room starting from its primordial step. I became incredibly warm, and it was difficult to breathe deeply. I have had a chronic illness for 20 years, poor temperature regulation, and chest inflammation being among the symptoms. My sitter reported that my heart had been pounding but had since began to settle, which is normal, and that my breathing appeared stable and consistent. My chest felt heavy, but that quickly became the sensation of my entire body. I asked that they retrieve my inhaler from my art studio downstairs for afterwards. As they left the room, the temperature was brinking on overwhelming, so I removed my shirt and called for an AC unit to be activated when they returned. While I was still a little anxious, and I had still not been able to feel my own heartbeat, I got a good deep breath and began to relax back into it. 
The helix landscape turned into sporadically bejeweled tubes which warped in on one another and seemed to also emit from one another. The tubes transformed into serpents of all colors and sizes with beautiful scales, scaling, but never a face. I again had a sense of my labored breathing, constricting, and I opened my eyes twice briefly. I caught a comfortable breath and accepted my place among the serpents. My cat, Monsieur André, entered the room, jumped up at my side, said, Meow and began purring. The colors shifted intensely and immediately. The serpents began to slither away, one by one, until I was left in complete darkness. Void. Monsieur André left my side. I would see the occasional flash of gold, purple, and blue lightning on the peripheries. For a moment, I thought the trip was over, but when I went to open my eyes and sit up, I couldn't. I was paused. I began to laugh and thought, oh, I get it. It reminded me of things I had experienced in meditation. An enormous dragon emerged from the void, directly upon the mirror of this spacious spirit molecule's timely intent. It was the gold and purple and blue flashes of lightning I had just been witnessing. As with everything else, it did not have a face. I had the sense that to others, this dragon would have been terrifying. But to me, for me, it was immensely comforting. In a similar tactile, vibrational, telepathic way as had happened earlier, the dragon confirmed to me that realizations I have had concerning my battle with chronic pain, the nature of life, the nature of death, and these linked experiences had through meditation and LSD were all deeply resonant with the innate fabric, the unbleached silk. The dragon dissipated back into the void, and I opened my eyes to the albeit brighter, but familiar and welcoming landscape I had sat down in somewhere between 12 minutes and 1 million years before this profound, unquestionable, and calmly comprehended circumstance. The main lesson I took from my dragon is this. DMT opens our view to the curious combination of the uncontrolled control we have over our lives. To have the dragon of life by the tail is not to have control of it, yet the extraordinary can happen because of it. A few days later, I had acquired a discreet vaporizer for the purpose of taking DMT safely alone and in smaller dosages or what I call micro-toking. I took the same threshold amount as my first trip, somewhere around 60 to 70 milligrams, only I spread it out between three medium tokes across a 15-minute period. There was hardly any audio distortion, but the visuals were stunning. Eyes open, and the rooms dance. After the third toke, I was welcomed by bright, clouds of bubbles, reflecting and projecting light. They were floating above and down towards me. 
they asked me what type of trip I would like to have. I said, I want to see the jesters because I've had a phobia of clowns since I was like six years old. Can I see the jesters? The bubbles instantaneously transformed into a towering expanse of skyscraper-sized clowns emanating a looming green light. Spinning jester faces overlaid the skyscrapers and then jesters leapt forth out of the spirals. I said, that was wonderful. We all laughed and danced until we couldn't anymore. I was once again in the void, but briefly. The body of my dragon rushed past at full speed directly in front of me, beckoning, come deeper. The next morning, I sat in the same spot in my backyard to watch a multiplanetary alignment before the sun was to rise. The moon, taking our perspective place of the Earth, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn put on a great display. I took two long tokes within five minutes of one another. This morning, I only used somewhere between 20 to 30 milligrams. A brilliant astrophysicist friend of mine was also up to see the alignment. He sent along a link to the new Eminem and Snoop Dogg track, From the D to the LBC. I turned on the track and closed my eyes. I had just barely had my first toke. During Eminem's verse, there was a Buddha with a bong silhouetted and surrounded by beautiful mixtures and flashes of greens, gold, deep purples, and red. When it swapped to Snoop Dogg's verse, the color shifted instantly to deep blues, purples, silver, and flecks of gold silhouetting and surrounding the head of Anubis. The track ended, and I took a second toke. I remained eyes open the remainder of the time. The world brightened. Colors intensified. They were sharp, vivid, singular, present, multifarious, unordered, and unnamed. Heat struck my face as the bands of the sun burst out, displaying each color of the visible spectrum one by one, yielding to the peak of the mountain. The world spun around as wind rushed through, and the entire scene, the entire uniform and single field of view, turned into a life-giving impressionistic painting. Once again, void and a beckoning, come deeper with a rushing sound as the world settled. My experiences with the void while utilizing DMT were not my first. I had been there while meditating and on three separate occasions across two LSD trips. On the LSD trips, I was presented with Zen koans I had never bothered to answer in my meditation practice over the last several years. First koan. This was on a one-tab trip sitting in a park in the late afternoon. Question. What is the meaning of Zen? Answer. A flower petal flying by the view. Koan 2. This was on a two and a half tab trip in my home. Question. 
Does a dog have Buddha nature? Answer. Roughly. Koan number three. Question. What is the sound of one hand? Answer. Hello. Or answer two. A tree falling in the forest. My great aunt had a near-death experience. She said that she witnessed the veil open. She said that there were many people there, as well as colors and animals she had never seen before. Years ago, when I was still a member of the LDS Church, I told the story to a non-believing friend. Their simple response was, Sounds like DMT. My hypnopompic sleep paralysis episode was more or less colored like real life, but seemed to be faded, yet not blurry. I heard grand sounds I had never before heard and for which I knew no source, and I could distinguish between people and entities only I could see where the others could not. I traveled out of body through flight and floating and there was an explosion of blinding light. I have experienced all of this and more with NNDMT. In early March 2022, I notated a thought I had while meditating in my backyard. In late May, I shared this thought with some friends as we were all enjoying the sunset at the peak of a shared LSD trip. One friend, while looking up at the sky, said, Earth's just a giant bubble. We chuckled, and then I shared my meditative note. We are bubbles. A thin membrane whipped through the air, the breath of life. We latch on to the air, the same as we float with it. We can combine with other bubbles and enlarge our life and our view thereof, but only for a little while. All bubbles pop. But the air remains despite the absence of membrane. Life continues. Terence McKenna's self-transforming elf machines are Joseph Smith's self-knowing anticipatory intelligences are simply bubbles. But they are bubbles which understand that they are not fundamentally bubbles. They are the formless forms. They are the elves and fairies and jesters and music and dragons and geometry, cells, planets, stars, molecules, and you, and you, and you, and their time is always our time. Time is memory, and time is speeding up. I have thought this in various ways since I was an adolescent observing history. In particular, the history as it pertained to the establishment of my religion and the waves it sent onward. This instinct of the processing of time is becoming more clear. More and more memory is being jam-packed into smaller amounts of time. Then it's backed up to your computer. And then to the cloud. Time is more dense. 
more memories are being made and stored right now as you are reading or hearing this than were made from the exact same spot in the span of a million years, four billion years ago. The further our instruments look into space, look into the past, the further away it gets, and the faster the expanse appears to propagate. The future exists only so long as we plan ahead. This is not always a good thing. They were planning my mission splits already, no doubt. That was time pulling on the present, ready to imprint its complete course toward that moment. Not to mention that my cousin Adam had served in the same mission 10 to 15 years earlier. My DNA was already on the island, and my mission president remembered my cousin well. It should also be recognized that the time and life of the substance being taken to assist in these experiences are also intimately involved. The acacia tree, or mushroom, or ayahuasca vine, or your own brain, they have their own family histories, their ancestry, and it will be included in every trip. They are now you, and you are now them as you all always have been. As far as space is concerned in all of this, it is, somewhat paradoxically, an illusion. But it's only an illusion. And this is not to say that it's all in your head. Rather, it is to say that the you in your head Identifying with the body ambling around this space we know is only limited to this space as far and deep as that identification is seated. You, as your fundamental bubble, it has no space and it needs no space. And with that, I'd just like to end by sharing a Zen-Rin poem. The dragon hum in the dead tree. The eyeball in the dry skull. When you are really master of the myriad forms, throughout the four seasons there's no weathering, no decay. A light breeze stirs the lonely pine. The sound is more pleasant, heard from close by. And now that I've shed my skin completely, one true reality alone exists. My name is Christopher Schenefeld, and this has been Before the Crow's Nest.